Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message.
You know, and that's the interesting thing about the human mind, is our human minds have this incredible capacity to filter out a whole bunch of other sounds out and listen for what we want to hear. That's why if you're a parent and you lose your child in a busy shopping center, you can hear your child cry out. It's why if you're in a, in a restaurant listening to somebody and it's a very busy restaurant, there's a lot of hustle and bustle, you can zone out of the conversation that you're in and listen to the conversation that's going on directly behind you and then turn off that conversation and get back into the conversation that you're in. It's a thing that's called selective listening. Our minds have this incredible capacity to hear what we want to hear. Now, why do I begin with this this morning? Well, I want to talk about another kind of selective listening that we can be capable of as human beings. Um, but this selective listening is, is not the selective listening that I've just been talking about. Rather, this selective listening kind of takes place at the heart level. It's more of a spiritual kind of selective listening. Now, I'm, I'm not sure about you, but I've discovered over the years that I have a tremendous capacity within me to tune out God's voice. I mean, I mean, there have been times in my own spiritual journey where I have turned the volume way down low on God because I was afraid of what He was going to say to me or ask of me. In fact, there's, there's actually been times in my life where I have I have completely ignored what I heard God said, living in denial about it, and selectively not listening to that, but selectively listening to something else. Uh, I, I even turned my back on it and struggled. How about you this morning? Are you a selective listener to the voice of God? You know, today I, I want to look at the story of Gideon, and it's found in the book of Judges, chapter 6. And the story actually begins with how God's people had learned to become selective listeners. And because of that, they found themselves in a whole mess of trouble. Israel was in crisis. The, uh, they were oppressed by a very large and a very powerful nation known as the Midianites. And the Midianites, they were, they were distant cousins of the Israelites, uh, but way back in the time of Moses, a, a dispute, a fight, a war broke out between them, and so they weren't getting along. And so every year after Israel had planted their crops in the land, the Midianites would show up with their camels and their livestock, and, and they would basically just devour everything in the land. And the problem was that Israel was powerless to stop them because the Midianites were too many. There were so many of them that the scripture says that they were impossible to account. They were, they were like a swarm of locusts that were ravaging the land. So the only solution for Israel's survival was for them to hide out in the mountains. It says that whenever the Midianites showed up, the Israelites would flee to the hills. They'd hide in the mountain clefts and the mountain caves until the Midianites had moved on to other pastures. Now, this carried on for seven whole years. Imagine that. Seven whole years. Midianites show up, flee to the mountains, Midianites leave, come back down to the mountains. And after a point, the Israelites realized that they were, they were powerless. There was absolutely nothing they could do except one thing. This is where we pick up the story in Judges chapter 6. Here's what it says. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Seven years of trouble would cause almost anybody to turn to the Lord for assistance. So it's not surprising that at this point in the story, Israel cries out to the Lord for help. And, and you know what I find? It, what I find in life is that this is often the case: is that when crisis comes, people will turn to God for help. You know, even if they've spent their entire lives ignoring God, trouble 
way of getting people's attention. So when life is pushing us down, so often we find ourselves looking up. Um, the Lord uses trouble, actually, to, to get our attention. There's, there's a famous quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain. Here's what he says. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone that rouses a deaf world. Now, when, when Israel first cried out to the Lord, God responded. In fact, God sent them a prophet. And this prophet, he was kind of like a doctor. Um, and he came in and he worked with Israel and he helped them diagnose the source of their pain. You see, Midian wasn't actually the source of Israel's pain. Midian was only a symptom of the pain that they were experiencing. The source of the problem was that they had abandoned the Lord who had, who had rescued them out of Egypt. They had abandoned the Lord who had brought them into now, in the desert, you might remember the story of Moses. The Lord made a covenant with Israel. It was simple. This covenant was really, really simple. Kind of a quid pro quo type of a covenant. Follow me, obey me, walk with me, and you'll be blessed. Or turn your back on me, walk away from me, and you'll lose the blessing. And so even after Joshua led Israel into the promised land, he reminded them of this covenant. Now, in this story, Midian wasn't was only the symptom, but, he was, but they were not the source. So what was the source? Look at the verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, I said to you, this is the words of the prophets, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you live. But get this, but you have not listened to me. You have not listened. So the source of the problem in the story is that, is that Israel had selective listening. Now, in the Bible, it's, it's just to be clear, uh, listening to the Lord meant more than just hearing the Lord, okay? It meant to both hear the Lord and ultimately to obey the Lord. So it meant receiving God's commandments, hearing them, internalizing those commandments, and allowing those commandments to work their way out in your life to produce fruit in obedience. So listening to the Lord was equal to being faithful to the covenant that God had made with them. But of course, Israel had stopped listening to the Lord. And this, the prophet said, this, this lack of listening, this selective listening, was the source of the problem. So, it's interesting in the story. They, they might have been crying out to God, right? We get that from the story. But they weren't still yet listening to God. And there's a difference. Crying out to God focused on the symptom of the problem. But listening to God got to the source of the problem. And I don't know about you, I, I think it's funny. Is that so often in our lives, we want God to deal with the symptoms to our problems but we don't allow him to necessarily deal with the source of the problem. It's like the patient who goes to the doctor for a prescription to get an inhaler so that she can breathe better. Meanwhile, she's still smoking and packing a cigarette a day, right? So she deals with the symptoms, but not necessarily with the source. Hey, friend, the Lord wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to walk with him faithfully. And he does this because he is for us. He wants to bless us. He wants to be with us. And God's solution to that is to not just deal with the symptoms in our lives, but to deal with the source of the real problems that are in our lives. Now, in the story, it's interesting is that God, in His grace, responded to Israel's cries. Even though they weren't listening to Him, they were just crying out to Him, God was still so incredibly gracious, and He responds to them after the time of the prophets. And this is where we ultimately pick up Gideon's story in verse 11. I'm just going to read it to you. Here's what it says. It says, The angel of the Lord came, and he sat down under the oak in Ophrah, 
couple from uh, that belong to Joash the wow Abiathite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wide wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." So. Uh, Gideon, we find in the, just right off the bat in, in the story, wasn't much different than his fellow Israelites. He too was hiding out away from the Midianites. It says that he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Listen, when you, when you thresh wheat in that day, you usually did it in a wide open space. And the reason why you did that is because the air, the wind, needed to catch the chaff and blow it out and separate it from the grain so that the good grain could fall to the ground. So if you threshed wheat back in that day, typically you'd go to a place like the top of a hill where it was very windy. And that's where you thresh your grain. But Midianites, but uh, because of the Midianites, of course, uh, Gideon is not going to go to the top of the hill. Instead, we find him hiding into this carved out bowl, carved into the ground, hiding under the shade of an oak tree. And so there's a touch of irony, just a little touch of irony, when the angel says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Because mighty warriors don't cower in wine. And what we, what we discover, actually, in the story of Gideon is that this is actually a character flaw that he has. Gideon is a bit of a coward. Gideon is plagued with fear and with doubt, and we'll discover that as we walk through the story. But there's also a bit of a foreshadow here in the angel's words, because God is ultimately going to use Gideon in a way that Gideon could never, ever actually imagine, which is often the way of things. God often sees in us something that we ourselves don't often see. And, and with God's help, as we trust in Him, God enables us to rise to be more than we ever were. So, let, let's look at Gideon's response. Here's what Gideon says. He says, pardon me, my Lord. Right? Uh, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Saying, where are all his wonders that, that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and he said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. Again, it's really believe. You kind of get to think that Gideon's a bit of a comedian, right? But pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Now, I absolutely, I absolutely love this part of the story because because here Gideon is accusing the Lord of abandoning Israel, right? And he's saying, you know, you just kind of left us high and dry, and then the Lord says, hey, no, I haven't abandoned Israel. In fact, I've got the perfect solution for Israel. It's you. You're the one who is going to rescue and save Israel. It's going to be done through your hand. And that's probably not the response that Gideon had, in fact, uh, expected. But did you notice, once again, here it is, Gideon's doubt in the story. Polite reluctance. He, he kind of just starts backtracking. He, he begins making excuses. And he says, you know, my clan's the weakest. I, I'm the least in my family, right? How could God possibly use me? I don't know about you, but have you ever found yourself making excuses when God sends you out to do something? God asks you to commit to, to doing His will. Have you ever found yourself backtracking? Well, surely, God, come on. There's, there's got to be a stronger candidate, right? Someone with a higher status. Maybe someone someone more eloquent. Perhaps someone built a little bit more like Dwayne Johnson, a little less like Kevin Hart, you know? Send out the right person. It's not me. 
sense of assurance. And then we turn the page to chapter 6 and chapter 7. 
deliver Midian into their hand, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Now imagine that. Gideon's called in the troops. He's amassed a, a pretty good-sized army, 32,000 people. I mean, it wasn't as large as the Midianite force, but it might just be enough to win with a little bit of help from God. So there they are. They're on the field. They're getting ready. The battle lines are assembling. Gideon is preparing his best brave heart speech, right? Rallying the troops, face painted blue. And then God says to him, hey, Gideon, uh, you got too many men. you got to send someone. And so in a flash, he goes from 32,000 troops down to 10,000 troops. Imagine what that's like for a person struggling with a little bit of anxiety. Well, let's read on. What happens next? Verse 4. But then the Lord said to Gideon, hmm, hmm, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. And if I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So, 10,000 men, still too many for God. So Gideon leads them down to the water as the story goes, and he gets them to take a drink. And God says to them, listen, I want you to pay attention to those who are taking a drink. Those who sit their faces right in the water to drink. I want you to send all those guys home. But those who take their hands and fill it with water and lap it up like a dog, those are the ones you, you should be. And I, you know, I'm thinking if I was Gideon, uh, Gideon in that time, I'd be like, okay, well, what are the odds? Like maybe 50-50, right? 5,000 of them go home, 5,000 stay with me. That's a pretty good army still, 5,000 people. Maybe I could do something with 5,000 people. Well, as the story goes, and this is the story turns out, 4,700 of his men stuck their faces in the water. 300 men decided that they were going to drink from their hands. He lost almost all of his army. And all that remained was 300 men. 300 men. And then God made this promise to him in verse 7. Here's what God said. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but he kept the 300. He took over the provisions and trumpet of the river. So 300 men against an army too large to count. The Vegas odds here were stacked pretty heavily against Gideon. Now, like I said up to this point, imagine what Gideon was going through as the leader. I mean, he was already a doubter and a power. He, He'd already second-guessed the Lord several times, and he had to get a sign from God to reassure him. And now he was probably having a panic attack, having trouble breathing. His scope of vision was narrowing. But the Lord knew Gideon, and the Lord knew that Gideon would be afraid. So the Lord, even in Gideon's doubt and fear, was so gracious to him, so gracious to him. And he said to Gideon, he said, Gideon, listen, if you're afraid, if you're scared, I want to give you a little bit of music. Here's what I want. I want you to take your servant, and I want you to go down to the Midian water. And I want you to stand by the outposts. And all I want you to do is just listen. What does that word mean? 
given the Midianites into our hands. So Gideon is now, he's fully convinced. He calls his army together to get ready to fight, right? 300 of you, get up, let's get ready to go. And the question is, how do you attack an army too large to see or to count with only 300 men? What's the battle plan, Gideon? What's the strategy? Well, let's read on. Verse 16. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, so three sets of 100, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I go to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. All right. Did you catch that in the story? This, this brilliant battle plan that he had. Okay? Essentially, he is sending each and every one of those soldiers into battle without a sword. Right? They have a trumpet in one hand. They've got a clay pot in the other. They have no sword. That's all that they're going into, are into the battle. And I was thinking, you know, if I was one of the 300 men there, and I was asked to go into this battle, what would I think? I'd probably think, man, I really wish I stuck my face in the water, right? I wish that I could go home right now. So here's how the story continues. Verse 19, Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted out, The sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Okay, what's going on here? Uh, so imagine you're Midianite. You're sleeping in your tent. You're fast asleep. Right? It's, it's in the middle of the night because the guards uh, have just changed, right? And suddenly you wake up to the sound of people surrounding your tent, screaming out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And, and they're coming from all directions, right? So you figure you're surrounded. You burst from your tent, you look out on the horizon, and all you see are glimpses of light, torches, torches, torches. And you don't know how many people are out there. Because each torch could represent 10, 100, 500 people. All you know is that your entire camp has been surrounded and you're in trouble. What would happen in your heart? Likely panic. And what we have here is just brilliant psychological warfare that's going on. But there's more irony here. Because did you notice that the people surrounding the camp are shouting, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. The reality is, they don't have any swords. None of them are armed with swords. So the question is, where are their swords? Here's the next part of the story. Verse 21. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. When the army fled to Beth, Shittah, toward Sererah, as far as the border of Abel, so the sword of the Lord was not actually in the hand of Gideon and his men. The sword of the Lord was in the hand of his enemies. And in the end, what's the best part of this story is Gideon's army could never have actually won the battle. They were incapable of winning the battle. The victory was something that only God himself could do. It was an epic, epic deal. It was kind of a Cinderella story. I mean, there's never been anything like it except when the Vegas Knights take over the Stanley Cup and win. Um, I did, I did. I did. The story's way better. Sorry. Uh, 
mentioned before, biblical listening means to both hear the Lord and to do what He says. You haven't listened to God ultimately until you have responded in obedience. That's what the Bible teaches about listening. And I have discovered that one of the clearest ways to make a complete mess of my life is to stop listening to God. But on the opposite way, one of the clearest ways to see my life prosper is to keep listening to God and to respond to Him in obedience. See, the Bible says this about us. The Bible says that God has plans for us, plans to prosper us, plans to give us hope, plans to give us a future, plans to change our character, to change your values, to change your vision uh, for your life, to change your destiny of who you ultimately become. God has a plan for your life. And yet sometimes, even though we know all this to be true, for some reason we choose not to listen to Him. I decide, you know, I, I like Yanny. Way better than I like moral. Right? So I filter out everything I, I, I want to hear. I'm a selective listener. And I don't think I'm alone here this morning. I don't think I'm alone. Why do we do this? Well, well, maybe it's because we don't like giving up control. Or or maybe we don't like to change, right? Because what the thing about change is that change hurts. Change costs. Hey, li- listen, here's something that I found to be true. When God wants to grow you, He tells you something really uncomfortable. He tells you something you probably don't want to hear. And we don't like leaving our comfort zone. We we prefer an easy God, wouldn't we? We prefer a safe God. A God who won't cramp our style. A God who doesn't doesn't swim upstream. A God who's, well, is a lot like us. And we tend to tune out the God, the real God, who's trying to interrupt our lives. You know, the Apostle Paul, you read about it in the, in the book of Romans, he says, the reality is, what this is, it's actually sin living inside of us. It's, it's our this inner desire that we have to play God, to sit on the throne of our lives and, and, and just kind of push God to the side. And it's funny that we do this, right? Even though we know that there is a better way for us, and that God has purposes and plans for our lives, we still do this. Hey, listen, let me just give you the best advice on how to listen Before you try and listen to God, have a surrendered heart. What's a surrendered heart? A surrendered heart is a heart that says, God, I'll go with you wherever. I'll do whatever. I'll do it whenever. That's a surrendered heart. And when you have a surrendered heart, I've discovered in my life, it means your heart is wide open. It means I've I've taken off the filters. I've taken them all off. I've turned the, the radio station wide up, all the way up. And I'm saying, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. When you have a surrendered heart, you can hear God most clearly because you're not going to filter anything out. You're willing to do whatever, whenever, whatever God is. Here's a second discovery. God fights for us. God fights for us when we cry out to Him. You know, the, the amazing thing about the story is that God is faithful even when we are faithless. He will not abandon His people. And when we cry out to God in our despair... God always answers. When Israel cried out to God, He did not turn His back on them, even though He had every reason to walk away from them. He turned His face toward them. God always responded with grace in the story. You know, if you read through the story, it's brimming with these acts of grace because God is the hero of the story. The the, the Lord sent Israel, His prophet. He sent Israel an angel of the Lord. He 
sent Israel the Holy Spirit. He sent them a dream. He sent confusion in the, in the enemies, right? Every step of the way in the story, we find God working on behalf of his people, even though they may not even know it. Are you crying out to God for something? This is good. This is good. Because, because it's at the end of your road that you ultimately find God. The Lord is always found at the limits of your strength. The Lord is found at the uh, beyond your ability to cope, above your intellect or, or your ingenuity. God wants to bring you to the end of yourself so that he can do his greatest work in you and through you. The Lord heralded and packed his army of 32,000 men down to 300 to teach Israel to trust him and not in their own capability. You know, with 32,000 men, they might have won and they may have taken the credit themselves, but with 300, they did not have a chance of winning. They had to trust God. And in the end, they could only give God credit for what he had done. It, it reminds me of what, what the Apostle Paul wrote in, in his first letter to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth. I mean, this was a church that was that was filled with average Joes and average Josephines. Okay, Many of them had, had experienced the life-transforming power of Christ. They'd been changed by him. God was using them in tremendous ways. And, and they were kind of starting to get a little bit proud of their progress. They, they were kind of taking the credit for themselves. And so Paul, in his letters, he, he stepped in. And he just graciously reminded them of how far they had come and of who had brought them there. I just want to read a, just a little excerpt from 1 Corinthians. Here's what Paul says. And I think this will speak to many of us this morning. He says, brothers and sisters, I want you to think of what you were when you were called. I mean, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Friends, it, it pleases God to turn the world upside down by taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. God loves to rescue shipwrecked lives. God loves to restore lost causes. He loves to beat the odds. So what about you today? Are, are you struggling? Do you find yourself up against the wall? Good. Cry out to God. He is faithful. He is for you. And he will fight for you. That's what the story teaches us. Here's the third discussion. That God wants us to get up, get down, and tell him again. Okay. What I mean by that? The angel of the Lord asked Gideon, I think that's a question for all of us this morning. God would ask us this. Why not send him? And when it was time for the battle to take place, the Lord said to his people, Get up, go down to the battle. See, even though God fought for Israel, Israel still needed to get up and go down into the battle. Trusting in God does not mean sitting on your hands sitting on the sofa, eating a bag of Doritos, watching Netflix, okay? Trusting in God means going with God into life's battles. And as we do that, God fights for us. Christianity is active passivity. A lot of 
passive life. I don't have to do anything. I'm not going to do anything. He's not going to do it for me. I'm just going to trust him. He's going to take care of me. Okay? As you read through the pages of Scripture, you discover again and again and again this mutual relationship between God and his people, and it's an active passivity. We are passive in the sense that we are trusting God to do something that only he can do. But we are active because we know that God wants us to step into life's battles. So, as the old saying goes, we pray as though everything depends on God, but we act as though everything depends on us. There's this relationship that we have with God as we enter into the world. And can I just step back from the message here today and just get really, really, really practical for us as a community. I want to speak to us as a cross-world church as a community. Um, we are entering into something that is totally and completely new. Because I'm, I'm just going to speak from the heart this morning. We are, we are, we are stepping into, uh, we've jumped into this building, we've been in here three or four weeks, uh, we've, we've had others join our cross-world community, and the fall, and, and everything is new for us, okay? And everything's overwhelming. And, and in all of this, none of us can take credit for it, right? All we can say is it's God, and God has done this, and we bless Him, and we praise Him, because this is something only God can do. But as a church community, we are we are growing, okay? And we want to be poised and ready in the fall to do whatever that God is asking us to do, okay? And we want to be prepared for what God has for us going forward into the fall. Um, so, you know, uh, on our first Sunday here, we had you know, 355 people in attendance. His ministry was packed downstairs. Parking lots were full. Uh, we were kind of ready for that, and it was, it was fantastic, and it was a great Sunday. Weekend after that, we had 340 uh, on the Sunday morning. We had 100 on the Saturday before that, okay? May long weekend, which was last weekend, um, we, we had... I don't know, like 250, 260 people on May long weekend. Kids ministry had 50 some kids in it. Okay, the, the place is full. The place is full. And this is a good thing. Um, as we're going into the fall, if, if we continue to grow, we, we're, we're starting to think about what is God asking us to do? It's probably going to mean maybe it's not right in the fall, but maybe in November, December or something like that, starting a second service. Right? So that we can accommodate the numbers. So that more people have a chance to hear the gospel message. So that more people have an opportunity to get connected with the community. So that we can reach more people. So that we can be faithful to the Lord. We're starting to think about partnerships in the community. I mean, we're, we're south of here, Abbotsfield and, and whatnot, is, is one of the toughest, most challenging communities in the city right now. And it's right here on our doorstep. And we're beginning to ask the question, you know, what, what is partnership? starting to ask the question, well, how do we get more people into communities so that we can disciple them? Because when the harvest comes in and, and more people begin to accept Christ and begin to uh, receive Him into their lives, we have to be ready and prepared so that we can help more people grow in the faith of Christ and, and become disciples. But how are we going to do that? Our kids ministry, I mean, it's, it's, it's if you go down there, it's loud and it's wonderful and it's full of energy and it's amazing. There's 60 plus kids and we know the capacity down there is about 90 kids. That's all we can accommodate down there. Uh, I, I say all this cross point is because we're dreaming about who God is forming us to become. We're dreaming about the future that God has for us. As a church community and, and going forward. 
interestingly enough, there are about 300 of them. I truly believe that God can take the people to the people and change the world. I believe that. But to make it happen, each and every one of us has to get up and go down and follow God
which we ourselves have been forgiven. We acknowledge that, that the Lord's table that we partake of is sacred. And because of this, we heed God's warning not to partake in an unworthy manner without first examining ourselves. We leave that to the Lord. So in a moment, we're going to invite you to participate at the Lord's table. And this might be new for some of you. Uh, we're, we're, for us, this is a common practice for us at Crosspoint. But we invite you to participate at the table by walking to one of the stations that's located uh, around the room here. And uh, when you're there, you can take the elements uh, there while you're there. Um, or you can take them back to your seats, or you can find a space in the auditorium where you take them. We, of course, take the, the bread first, and then we take the cup afterwards. And so... Uh, moment, we're going to give you a chance to reflect before we do that. The scripture teaches us that on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this morning, Crosspoint, as we finish, we invite you to the Lord's table. We invite you to remember, to repent, to reconcile, and to receive Christ with joy and with gladness. So we're going to give you a few moments to reflect and to pray. And then when you're ready, in your own initiative, come to the table and receive this morning? Are you living in surrender with surrendered hearts? And are you listening to God? What is He saying to you today? As we close today, we'll reflect on that. If you're here today and you want to respond in prayer, then we'll have a team, our altar prayer team here on the left in the place of prayer who will pray with you. They'd love to do that with you. But before you go, let me remind you who you are across the point. You are the people of God, called by God in His redemptive mission to the world. So be who you are. Before you leave today, learn someone's name. Someone new that you don't know before. It's Name Tag Sunday. You can learn their name just right on their chest. It's easy enough for you. Uh, and also, stick around and have some fellowship. We love you. Have an awesome Sunday. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.